Some of you may not know this, but we have a problem in the office here at Southridge. It's a little problem. But six, six, seven, maybe eight years ago, this building was built. And when it was built, it was springtime. Now, interesting thing about springtime is that sometimes when you're building things, bugs get into the walls. And so there's been this thing where every single spring, ladybugs come out in our offices and collect on our windowsills upstairs. Did anybody know that? Some of you may have known that. So lots of ladybugs. So I'm going to tell, I've got permission to talk about this, but about Pastor Kirk. Pastor Kirk was a pastor here that uh, just recently resigned, and he, he, he's well-known by a lot of us. And so Kirk is a really funny guy. He's got a real soft spot for living things. I don't know if you know that about him, uh, but he has a soft spot for living things. And what he does is he cares about everything. I've seen him kick a snail to the side of the, the sidewalk to make sure no one steps on it. So with the ladybugs, what we would often find, or at least I noticed that he did, is he would take a piece of paper and he would walk up to the, the window and he would shuffle as many of these living ladybugs as possible. Now, I don't know if you realize upstairs, maybe you've, you've not noticed that there isn't any open windows upstairs. So what he has to do, he has to go through great lengths to save these little ladybugs. He will shuffle all of the ones onto his paper and he will take them out of his office through the rest of the big office, across the hallway, down the stairs, around the corner, and then he frees as many as he can. Every day he did this when it was springtime, when these ladybugs would collect. Now, some people might think, wow, that is a lot. That's just a bug. Just let it die. I don't know if, if you're one of those people. You think, just let it die. Just don't go through all that effort. But Kirk did this, and and. It's, it's a lot of work for him to do that because he cared so much. Some people might think he took it too seriously. But the, the interesting thing is that what he was given, he, he was given this opportunity to save some, to save some of these, these, uh, these ladybugs. And so what he did is he did what he thought he should do, was to save some. What's interesting is that we're talking about a story that Jesus talked about in the Bible that um, that talks similar to this stuff, and I'm going to bring back the ladybugs later. So if you want to turn your Bibles, if you have a Bible you want to read on the screen, this is um, Luke chapter 19, verses 11 to 27. And we're gonna, I'm going to read this for you, this story. And, and this is actually a part two of a message that I spoke on a month ago, which was the Zacchaeus passage. So if you have not looked at that, have not heard that Zacchaeus passage, um, you want to go online, you can go to our website. All of our messages are there. So if you want to look that up and to kind of get some backstory of what we're talking about, feel free. But it is a standalone, so don't worry. If you haven't seen it, it's all good. So this is uh, Luke chapter 19, 11 to 27. This is a while the people were still listening to this interaction with Zacchaeus. They were still, Jesus was continuing, continuing his talk. Luke 19 says this, verse 11. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable, which is a story, because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent... 
for his servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, Take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here's your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You took, take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest. Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. But sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has more, has more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Well, that's a happy ending. <laughs> well, we're going to get to that point in a second, but, but let's unpack this, this story because there's a lot in there that could be quite confusing. The reason Luke gives for this, Luke is the writer of, of, this, of this story, of what, uh, writing down what Jesus said. The reason why he gave it is because they were near Jerusalem. They were actually in Jericho. They were near Jerusalem, and they were, they were expecting this grand entrance of the kingdom of God. They were, they were expecting, okay, we, the Romans are oppressing us. We are, we are finding ourselves just, there's got to be a better way. We're just waiting for this Messiah. It's got to change, and things have to change. And this must be it. We're near Jerusalem. This must be the Messiah. We think maybe this is it, and things have got to change. It's got to appear at once. But Jesus doesn't just say, and here it is. He does this by using a Greek coin to describe what the kingdom of God is going to look like. This is really interesting. It's very creative. And it's a really interesting way of doing this because it's not what they were expecting. Now, the, now to say it, for years and years and years, and some of you thought it too, I thought it was a mina. Some of you are like, yeah, I, I've read that before. I thought it was a mina. I heard some people call it mina, mina. I thought maybe tomato, tomato, that sort of thing. But I actually did look it up. It actually is a mina. And so a mina is a Greek coin, and it's worth 100 days wages. One coin, 100 days wages. Wow, like that is a lot. Now get this. Not only is a mina a, hundred, a little coin, but Jesus uses this story to describe what it is to make more disciples, what it should look like. It means to share your faith. Each person has been given a mina, and we are to multiply that, to share our faith with others. Now, that's a lot of multiplication, isn't it? He's not just saying, yeah, one to one or two to one or that sort of thing, but a hundred to one. So what we learn from this story is that Jesus is explaining this story as a way of saying, at the end of your life, you are accountable for what's been given to you. You could be 
given a lot and done a lot with it and being a good steward of, your, of what you've been given or you've been given a little, but, you, but you, if you're a poor steward, you become motivated by fear. You become motivated, motivated by fear and not, um, which stops you actually from, from acting out in faith. So you have a wrong motivation. The reality is that if we understand what we've been given, if we are truly convinced, then we should do something about it. So what happens in the story? Even those who don't do anything with it, they were given, it was taken away from them to someone who knew that, they, that, that, that the king would know that they would do something with. Are we going to be someone, are you going to be someone, who does much with what is given, or little with, with what is given to you? Are you going to take up every opportunity that comes your way? If this story of Jesus is true, we must multiply, or we lose our opportunities. Now, I'm not saying, and this passage is not saying that we can lose our salvation. And some people may be confused by that, but it does say that we will lose our effectiveness. Have you ever noticed an older person that is grumpy? Maybe you are an older person, and you've looked to someone that's also your age and thought, wow, why? If they were just, if they had, like, shouldn't they have more of the joy of the Lord in their life? Shouldn't they be more joyous of all those years of, of, of serving Jesus? One could wonder, if you look at a passage like this, you could wonder if, what was, what was God doing in that? Was that, was that effectiveness been, been given away? Because the fact is, the reality is, this is a very big passage, and it's a very important passage, much more important than I thought it was originally. But what do we do with those last two verses? Remember the grim verses at the end? Those grim verses that talk about those who are my enemies, take them here and kill me. Those are really strong words. Well, T.W. Manson describes it as this, and I hope this really sheds some light on, on why this would be important for Jesus to say. He says, We may be horrified by the fierceness of the conclusion, but beneath the grim imagery is an equally grim fact. The fact that the coming of Jesus to the world puts every man to the test, compels every man to a decision, and that decision is no light matter. It is a matter of life and death. So this passage really does mean a lot. There's a lot to be said about this passage. There's an urgency that's there. Now, we live on the west coast of Canada, and I grew up on the island, and I think it would be really fun to, at this point, translate this story into something that is maybe something that we can kind of, we don't have minas kind of walking around. So... Let's talk about this as fishing charter boats. So if you can imagine, we're, we've got this story now of fishing charter boats, and we're gonna, the, the boss employs 10 employees all over Vancouver Island to do this fishing charter for the beginning of the season. So in some of the bigger cities, we've got Victoria and Nanaimo and some of those bigger cities that are like, okay, we're going to have eight, nine, or 10 boats per fleet. So we're going to give them a lot because there's lots of people around. It's going to make sense. For the smaller towns, we're going to give one, two, or three boats. And at the end of the season, the boss comes and says, okay, so how many boats do we have sent out and how many times were they sent out? Those who are in the bigger cities, or maybe let's, let's translate it into the better fishing spots. So 
west coast of Tofino, Campbell River, Port Hardy, they give a great return. At the end, the people say, wow, this was good. This was great. And then the, the boss says, well done. But for places like Bowser, does anybody know where Bowser is? I grew up on the island, so I know these places. Bowser is just this little town you would never think, I'm going to fish, charter a fishing boat from Bowser. But for Bowser, they, they maybe said this. Maybe they said, we, you know what, we, you know, boss, we took the boat out of the water, so it doesn't have barnacles. And, and you know what, we, we, didn't, we didn't make any money, but at least we didn't lose any money. And the boss would say, are, are you really that dumb? Like, you could have left this in the water so that Somebody from Nanaimo could have a referral and they could, they could pull, them out, pull it over and, and you could be used at least once. We need to be a good example. So you get the idea, if a mina is, is making is what you've been given, an opportunity to share your faith, we need to be a good example and a good disciple. We need to know our purpose. If you follow Jesus, if you get anything out of today, today, You've been given a mina and an opportunity to share your faith. There's no excuse. You probably are going off to do something else. You probably got lots of things on your plate. You probably have lots of things to do. Yet opportunities come our way even when we do those things. But why is it so hard to share about Jesus? Why is it so hard to share our faith? Shouldn't it be easier? Shouldn't it be easier for us to share our faith? Maybe you felt that gulp of, okay, I got I to gotta share about God somehow and I don't know how. And you've, you've wondered, how do I bring up the subject of God in front of, in front of someone who doesn't know him? I think it's hard, partly hard because we don't stand still. We, as I said, we live our lives coming and going. We're not just a group of couch potatoes. We, we have lives. But sharing our faith, I think, sometimes has a lower priority to other things in our lives. I think we, we allow it to just sink in deeper down where we don't really notice it. I think it's partly because we live our lives doing what we know and see, looking and seeing and what we see and know and, and don't expect anything out of the ordinary. We don't expect the things that we don't see because we don't see them. But partly because we forget the reason why we're here. That if you are a Jesus follower or if you claim to be a Christian here, that the reason why you're here is not to build a family. The reason why you exist isn't to have kids. The reason why you exist is not to build your own kingdom. The reason why you exist is not to buy a house, to live a happy life, or to work a job so that you can just wait for Friday, so that you can go and have recreation. No, the reason why we exist is for us to go out, every one of you who are Jesus followers, to go out and to preach the gospel to all nations and to have them baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and to teach everything that Jesus has commanded us to do and because he has promised that he will be with us to the very end of the age. That's why we exist. But if we wait on Christ, we will see. If we pause and are watchful, we will see God working. If we expect to see God, I trust that we will see him working. Because he is working and we don't know that he's working because we are finite. He is infinite. He is working despite us. No, for those of you who profess to be Christians, our job is not to live for ourselves. We are created for God's glory, as Sue prayed earlier. We are created for God's glory and his kingdom. That's our purpose if we follow Jesus.
That's it. That's all we need to know. That's it. We can just be done now, right? Except I even know how hard that is. I know how hard it is because I put my family above things. I put my family above God sometimes. I put my, the, the, the love for camping, which I'm starting to do tomorrow. I'm going camping. I love camping. I love gardening. I just pulled my garlic yet, the, uh, the other day. I've been so happy about the things in my life, but sometimes I miss my purpose because I get so caught up in the things of this world. I miss my purpose. We need to build this into our lives, this multiplication idea, this idea that what is our purpose? What are we here to do? When, when did we believe the lie that, that living for Christ's kingdom or living for God is an on top of problem? That we somehow have to do our whole lives and then we throw Jesus on top and say, okay, if it's convenient, if it's necessary and if it's if it's inconvenient, it won't happen. But if it's convenient, I'll let it happen. When do we believe that? Because I know I've believed that. Why can't we see the living for Christ's kingdom as a part of the purpose of our lives? I think it's a struggle. We have one shot. We have a certain amount of days on this earth. That number is not known by us. Sometimes that number is shorter. And we enjoyed a wonderful celebration of life for, for Len Murdoch yesterday. It was so awesome to see his life. But the reality is, he was young. To me, my opinion is he was too young. I don't understand why God would, would allow him to pass away. He was so fruitful. He was so good at what he does. He's doing this message. Are you living God's purpose for your life? Are you living who you want to be? Maybe those are some questions that you need to wrestle with today. So those of you who are Jesus followers here, you've been given that mina. You've got that now, right? You've got what I've been saying. You've been given a mina since you've accepted Christ. If you are a Jesus follower, you've accepted Christ, you've been given that opportunity to share your faith. So how have you multiplied it? Have you multiplied it at all? I don't know. What I do know is that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus says that, and that is a reality. The workers are few. The harvest is plentiful. There's lots that need to know about Jesus. All of us are busy, though. But are we busy with the right things? You know, I sometimes wonder why I don't lead more people to Christ. You might think that's funny from a pastor. But I realized one day, I was looking at my life, and I was thinking, yeah, I wonder why we do I don't lead some more people to Christ. Well, I work at a church. I'm around Christian people all the time. I have Christian friends, so I've got lots of Christian people around. I just don't have enough people from outside the church in my life. Wow, what a brainwave, hey? Like, I could have thought of that years ago, but I went years of thinking, why am I not seeing more people come to Christ through me? It's almost like I need to be hit in the head with a two-by-four, you know? Like, just like God's like, hey, here's a person, whack! You know, just to say, hello, it's right here. It wasn't that I was, uh, was not initiating the conversation. And you know that from the message I, I spoke on a month ago that talked about that homeless guy. And, you know, I'm okay with initiating a conversation. The problem was that I wasn't praying for opportunities. I'm not praying enough for opportunities, and I realized this. So I started praying for more earnestly for opportunities. Not right away after I started praying this, but a time later, 
I was uh, responding to one of the connect cards. You know, we talk about it all the time, the newcomers. Fill the connect card, drop it by the welcome center. And the guy, one guy handed it in, he said, I want to start a relationship with Jesus. I thought, whoa, this is awesome. He just said, I'm gonna, I want to start a relationship with Jesus. Okay, so I emailed him and said, hey, hey, guy, I'd like to meet with you for coffee. So how about we meet for, uh, at 208 in Fraser Starbucks. We'll meet, I'll talk, talk with you about this. So he, um, he responded and said, yeah, I would love to do that. So we went off to the Starbucks and we, we, we worked through some stuff inside the building. We were talking through some questions he had. And then it came down to the point where I was like, this guy is so ready. Is this really happening, God? I've been praying for this for a while, but is this really happening? And I kind of got caught up in this and I just said, you know what? I'm just going to say it. I'm, I called for the commitment. So I said, hey, would you like to commit to Jesus for the first time? And he's like, yeah, how do I do that? So I said, okay, you need to acknowledge that you need him, that you need Jesus, that you believe that he is the son of God, that he died and rose again for your sin, the things that you've done wrong, and you confess that to him, and that you commit to a life for him. He said, oh, great, I'm, I'm in, I'm doing this. I was like, all right, that's great. So we walked outside the, the, the store, just right outside the front door, there was a couple tables over there, and we sat down and we prayed. And it was in that moment that he followed along with what I was praying, and he committed his life to Christ for the first time. It was awesome. I told him that the angels in heaven, the Bible says the angels in heaven have a great party over every, every person that turns to Jesus for the first time. And he thought that was pretty cool. And, and afterwards, he just said, you know, we're about to leave. And he said, you know, I feel physically different. Like, I feel something's going on inside of me. I explained that he's now a temple of the Holy Spirit, that the that the Bible talks about how, how the Holy Spirit now resides in him and his life is now for Christ, it is not for himself anymore. And I said, that feeling you have, not everybody feels that, just to be sure that you're not going off telling people, and then you're going to feel something really different in a sec. Because <laughs> people could be really confused. I said, that's a gift that God gave to you, and he gave you that gift, and you should cherish that, because the Holy Spirit gave you that gift, and that is a special thing that he gave to you. A few days later, I had another conversation. It started first with actually an intro to partnership seminar that I, I led. And afterwards, this guy, I, I, it, the look on his face was that I hooked his mouth up to a fire hose and turned on full blast. Because he was just like, whoa, this Jesus dude, I'm still trying to figure it out. So David, this, this guy, he said, hey, can we meet for coffee? I said, you know what? I've got a great coffee shop we can go to. I just went to one last week with another guy. And I said, hey, let's go for coffee. So he said, sure. We went into this co the coffee shop, the same Starbucks that I was at before. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? Four days later. I, and I talked with, with David about this. And I said, you know, hey, like, where are you at? And so we walked through all the different things. And he struggled with this one thing. And he just felt like, man, I'm just not good enough. I'm just not good enough of a, of a person to actually come to God. I told him that, if you waited for that moment that you'd be good enough, it will never happen. Because we aren't. And that's the beauty of grace. That, that it doesn't matter how good or bad we are, if we come to Jesus and allow him to come into our lives, he will help us to become better. That he will help us to grow and help us to learn and help us to discover. And it's until that point that they won't happen. So, I took a deep breath, a good gulp. And I said... My call to commitment. So, would you like to do it? And he looks side to side and he's like, here? Like, in Starbucks? 
<laughs> and I said, oh, okay, well, and I'm thinking, okay, how do I explain this to him? Okay, do you want to step outside and we can talk more? So we stepped outside, talked more, and he said, you know what? Like, it's cool and everything, but can you just text it to me? So I'm like, okay. So, all right, so I'm like thinking, okay, so I'm running in my car, and I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to do this in a text? You know how hard it is to do a novel in a text? Some people do those, though. So I'm like, I'll be one of those guys. So I'm just like texting away in my car. But an hour later, I get this text back, and, and he teased me. Because in the conversation we talked about, it only has to happen once. And he said, I did it a few times just to make sure. But it was awesome. He accepted Jesus. I was elated. I was so excited that this happened. And then a little bit after that, he sends me this other text later that night. And he says this. Hey, man, you need to know that I'm super grateful for you, Kathleen, because his daughter attended the Child Care Center. And all the leaders of the church, really, it's a beautiful thing. And I can't wait till I get called to carry on spreading God's plan too. Isn't that amazing? And David, if you're here, I just want to tell you that this message really is also for you. Because you have been given that mina. You have been given that mina and you need to multiply and it's time. And this guy was one of the guys that got baptized at the beach on June 10th. So this all happened early May and on June 10th he's baptized. It's how awesome is that? He gave me permission to use those names. But he has been, yeah, it's awesome. He has been invited into the community and now is one of us. The thing is, I went a long time without leading someone to Christ. I, I went a long time without ever coming to this point of calling someone to commitment. I felt like, is this ever going to happen? And all of a sudden, this starts happening. Two unrelated people within days of each other. They're not related to each other. It just, just happened. It was an act of God. Multiplication, though, you have to be clear, is not up to us. It is up to the Holy Spirit. It is not up to us. We cannot fabricate it. We not, cannot create it on our own. The Holy Spirit has to work. Jesus is leading people to himself despite us. Do you catch that? Despite us. He doesn't need us to do his work. Yet, he does use us in his work if we let him. And that's the sad part. Maybe ask yourself, are you ready for this? Are you ready for multiplication? Because I said earlier that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Are we going to be a group of people here that are not going to be the few? We're going to be the many. We're going to be the many that are going to see many to come to Christ. Why? Because it matters. Because on this earth, we need to make, help them to see how living for Jesus here on earth and not waiting for heaven, here on earth is important and it's a better life than living without him. I wasn't looking for opportunities because I had this tunnel vision. I don't think that I, I was just thinking, I'm going to do my pastor stuff. I'm going to do my home stuff. I'm going to do my recreation stuff. I'm going to do my hobbies and that is it. I guess I wasn't ready. I wasn't willing to give up my priorities completely. I did partially, but not completely for the priorities of, of, of Christ's kingdom. So how about you? What have you done with your mina, with your coin? We are often living for our pleasure and entertainment, but not living for our purpose, aren't we? That's why we find ourselves spending countless hours binging a season of uh, seven seasons of Netflix on Netflix in 48 hours, right? 
Maybe not that much. That's a little much for 48 hours. But we do, and I do that. I, I, we, we binge these shows and we spend all this time on these things. We spend all these times on things that, that we just think that that's what we should be doing. But remember that we can easily hog Jesus. We hog Jesus to ourselves. We find ourselves with Christian people. We find ourselves in Christian events, Christian outings, Christian surroundings. I did. Some of you do. I know you do because you're just like me. We find ourselves around all these Christian people. Now, I'm not saying that you can't do that. I'm not saying that they're inherently, and there's nothing inherently wrong about any of those things. It's, it's, it's fine. But what I'm proposing is that we need to tune our minds into our purpose because that's what matters most. To glorify God and to spread the good news about Jesus. Because we've been given that mina when we decided to follow Jesus. But remember, at the end of that passage, it said, and what that quote I shared earlier, it's a matter of life and death. It's very important that we take this seriously. I've now taken it seriously, and I'm hoping that you can do the same. Life isn't about what we want to do. It's about being a disciple, and um, the mission of Jesus and, and vision of Southridge depends on you doing this. If you want to follow Christ, if you want to join us in what we're doing here, you need to take on these things to fulfill what God wants for you to do if you decide to be here. Because our mission is to love God, don't bother with the world, and don't do anything for anybody. Is that what it says? No. It's love God. Why we exist is love God, change the world one life at a time. And we... Southridge, we will do this by turning outward and living God's purpose so that our com community will experience God. That's what we're called to do if we decide to be at this church. It's a matter of life and death. 26 says, he replied, I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given, but as for the one who is nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want to be king over me, over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. The reality is, is that if you are a Jesus follower here, someone has come to your life, someone has helped you to cross that path. Someone has done what I did, and someone has done that. It could have been a co-worker, it could have been a friend, it could have been a family member. It was someone in your life that has helped save you from death. Saved you from that verse. You've, someone has used their mind on you. Maybe you've been brought here today and you've been brought here by someone who has been a family member, a co-worker, or a friend, and you're, and you're still trying to figure this out. I want to I help you to understand this. Now, John used this awesome example of a soccer camp of a door. He used this idea of a door just to help kids to explain what it means to have a relationship with God. And how he did that is he had a gigantic door. You saw that on the video earlier. He had a gigantic door and the door was open because God wanted us to have a relationship with him. But what happened was there's things in our life, there's things that we do that are disobedient, the things that we call sin, and that we close the door. We were the ones that closed the door so that we could not get through to get to God. It was our fault that we did that. It was my fault that I did that. And the only way to open up that door again is through Jesus. 
The only way is for God on the other side of that door to open it for us because there's no way for us to go through except for through Jesus. That if we acknowledge that we need Jesus, that we believe that he died and rose again and it was for our sin, for our things, our failures, and that we can experience eternal life through him if we confess and commit to him. And if you came here today and you're still discovering that and you want to be just like that guy that checked off the Connect card, said, I want to start a relationship with Jesus, I'd encourage you to do that in the Connect card. Grab another one if you've already filled one out. Or come up and talk to me afterwards. I'll stick around at the end and, uh, and I would love to pray with you to start a relationship with Jesus. It would be a great start for you. If you just want to have questions, you want to ask some questions, I would love to help you with that. For those of you who already have a, a relationship with Jesus, maybe it'll get out of control like ladybugs. Maybe all of a sudden things will just, you'll start praying for opportunities and all of a sudden you're like Kirk and you're, you're shuffling them onto papers and you're freeing them and all of a sudden they're doing stuff. But get this, do you understand the, the, the reality of these ladybugs? The reality of these ladybugs is that they were inside the four walls of the church and they were never going to do their purpose. That all they were going to do was bump up against these windows and that was it. That they couldn't get through this. That they need to be released. We need to multiply because they can't do their purpose. There's purpose for people in this church. We need to glorify God and spread God's message. And we need to do this. We need to multiply these ladybugs. We need to multiply this faith. We can't hog Jesus anymore. We have to break out of just this church. Of just our Christian friends. Of just our Christian things that we do. We don't fulfill our purpose if we do it that way. Now, some of you are still thinking, okay, so how do I make this disciple? If I'm going to multiply, how am I going to do this? Because I hear a lot about what it means to make a disciple. I hear you talking about people and how they're coming to Jesus. But how do I do this? Well, there's three things I want to leave you with. And I actually inserted some things sneakily throughout the message that all relate back to that. But don't worry, I'm not going to leave it ambiguous. I'm actually going to explain this to you. So the first thing is this, to become a disciple, like the fishing charter boats. See what I did there? So bring a return on your investment. Become a disciple. Be a disciple of Jesus. If you aren't a disciple of Jesus, pray to receive Jesus today. But read your Bible. Be an example. Read your Bible. Paul says, Follow me as I follow Christ. The Apostle Paul says that in, in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, follow me. How can you lead someone to Jesus if you're not reading your Bible, if you're not praying, if you're not being a good disciple? How are you going to lead them? Hey, be like me. I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm a faking it, Christian. That doesn't work. How can you lead someone if you're not already a disciple? Number two, surrender in prayer to the Holy Spirit. Allow Him to guide you. Remember the guys that surrendered in prayer to the Holy Spirit? They surrendered. They surrendered their lives. Think about me, how I had to surrender. I had to surrender. There's no other choice. I surrendered and I said, okay, God, I think I need to ask them to call them to, to know you for the first time, to start a relationship with you. Wait on the Holy Spirit and trust him that he is already at work despite whether or not we see it with our finite minds. Because we think we know what we, we know, but we actually don't know as much as we think we know. We think we got it all, we understand God. But yet we are not God, so we can't. The third thing is pray for opportunities. Who is in your life already? 
Maybe you've got someone in your life that's a 20-year friend. Maybe you've got someone who's a 20-day friend, or you just met this morning. Who is it in your life? Do you think it's just a coincidence? Is it just a coincidence that I was the one that answered the Connect card? Is it just a coincidence that I was the one who's the partnership seminar guy? Is it a coincidence that I am my neighbor's neighbor? Or is there actually a reason for that? I think that there is. But I think we, can, we need to be careful because I know from my own life, years will pass and there won't be any opportunities because I'm not looking for them. I'm not praying for them. I'll leave you with this. There may be some of you who don't know Jesus and I want you to really think about this message as a way, so there's those who don't know Jesus, if you think about it this way, If you don't know Jesus, this message is a way to say, hey, you can know Jesus, and you can make a difference in this world. And I'm telling you that when I first accepted Christ, from the, that day forward, I knew that, that life for Jesus, this side of heaven, is way, way better than living a life for myself. I can't trust myself. I can't trust myself because I fail myself all the time. But if I trust in God, he will help me. So for those of you who don't know Jesus, just consider those things. And for those of you who, who know Jesus and you've maybe slipped away from pra practicing the following Jesus, practicing the, the following of Jesus, just remember that it's still there. You still have that mina. It's still, have, there is a responsibility for you to spread Jesus' love with others. There's an opportunity to share Jesus with others. And I want you to really think about that. It's still there. Are you going to be a good person in investing 10 and reproducing 10? Or are you going to be hiding it away in a cloth? It's your choice. Let's pray together. Jesus, it is the same power in your resurrection that lives in us today. We come boldly before you knowing that you hear us and we ask for forgiveness for the things that we don't do. Yet we praise you at the same time for the good things that you are doing in us right now. You are an amazing God. There are some here that don't know you and I boldly ask that you would speak to them and make them restless until they turn and surrender to you. I pray for those who are inspired by your word to make the most of every opportunity. There are people in our lives that need you. So please bring them to our minds more often and have them cross our paths so that we see that it is your divine guidance and your work that you are doing so that we may join with you in what you are doing in our family and friends' lives. We surrender our whole selves to you. I surrender my whole self to you now. Continue to use us for your eternal purpose of drawing others to you, snatching them away from the hurt and pain that this world has for them. May they know their creator, the goodness of you, Jesus, and a life that you have promised them that is everlasting. We come before you now in response in worship by singing and praying. Continue to speak to us. Continue to create in us what you want us to behave like. We surrender to you now through Jesus' name.